So I'm standing here at the temple uh, to the god of Sclebius. Uh, Sclebius was in Greek mythology, the god of healing. And this, where I'm standing, uh, was the hospital. Uh, temples to the god of Sclebius were located all over the Roman Empire. Uh, ruins of these temples have been found in multiple cities. Uh, and there was one here in Corinth. Um, this was in that day where people came when they were sick. Uh, the priests who served the god Asclepius, they were the doctors. Um, and they practiced medicine here. Uh, the individuals would come and they would wait uh, in this patio area. There are seats here. You can still see uh, the stone seats. They would have pillows on the seats and patients could recline uh, here waiting to go up to the temple that was located on this platform behind me. Uh, many times they were just given herbs. Uh, sometimes they would perform surgeries. Um, if there was a broken bone, these priests would attempt to fix the broken bone. They have even found cases where individuals um, had holes in their skulls. Uh, they would use a drill, and if there was a stroke, um, some kind of issue where there was blood on the brain, they would drill two holes in the top of the skull. Um, and amazingly, some people lived through that surgery. Uh, they um, have found skulls where the holes are there, but they have filled in naturally, and so they know that people continue to live. Um, when individuals would come who were sick, they would bring a clay uh, body part uh, representing whatever part of their body was sick. A hand, a foot, a leg, uh, male and female body parts. They would bring those clay terracotta body parts and they would offer those parts to the God. Uh, they would come and, and they would present that to the goddess Glebius and they would say, heal this, and they would leave that body part here as a reminder to Asclepius that when they left, to please heal that, to continue to, to heal that body part. Uh, when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, um, he had the, this imagery in mind. In chapter 12, verse 12, he talks about the body of Christ and how we make up the different parts of the body. Uh, some of us are hands, and some of us are feet, and some of us are eyes, and some are ears. And surely he had this uh, temple worship in mind when he wrote that. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that those who brought these body parts uh, to sacrifice to Asclepius, um, those represented sick parts. Those were the parts that needed healing. And Paul here, when he wrote this letter, um, had this image in mind. Uh, we're, we are flawed. We are, we are not perfect by any means. But as we participate in the body of Christ together, as we work together, then, then we are able to accomplish the mission that Christ has for us. Good morning, and uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. And let me just say, a mo uh, take a moment to uh, welcome those who are in our overflow room, as well as those of you who are watching online. 
Thank you for joining us in worship. As you saw in the video, we're continuing our series this morning in 1 Corinthians and looking at a passage that deals with each of us and the role that we play in the life of the church. Now, if you've been here with us for this series, you know that 1 Corinthians was originally a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, who is a missionary in the early church, to a church located in the ancient city of Corinth. Uh, Corinth is located about an hour's west, uh, an hour's drive west of Athens, Greece, um, and it was a church that Paul had planted. Um, then later, after Paul left the church, uh, this church sent Paul a letter with a number of questions about how they should operate as a church. And, and in one of those questions, we know was about gifts or what we call spiritual gifts in the church. And, and although we don't have their letter, we know that they had a whole lot of division in their church over these spiritual gifts. They believed that some were more important than others, that some were, were more useful than others, that some were more desirable than others. And so chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to their questions or to their statements about spiritual gifts and the divisions that they were experiencing over these gifts. Now, before we go any further, some of you may be new to church and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, spiritual gifts, those sound nice. Where can I pick one up? Is it in the foyer? Are they wrapped? You know, what is a spiritual gift? So let me give you this definition before we continue. A spiritual gift is an ability given to a follower of Christ to be used for the benefit of the church. Now, sometimes... These spiritual gifts will come instantaneously. The moment a person becomes a follower of Christ, they receive a spiritual gift or several spiritual gifts. An example would be an individual who has very little compassion for others, very little mercy for others. They become a follower of Christ. And in that moment or shortly after they become a follower of Christ, they receive the gift of mercy and have all of this compassion for others. It can happen like that. Most of the time, though, I believe it happens by God taking a natural ability that He has given to us and enhancing and growing that ability to be used for the benefit of the church. Like someone who is naturally a leader has those abilities, they become a follower of Christ, and God grows that, develops that within that particular individual. Um, again, either way, it is always to be used for the benefit of the church. There are 18 spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. We'll talk about several of those this morning. Um, before we go any further, there are a few things you, you need to know about spiritual gifts. Number one, the Bible does not define the gifts. Uh, for the most part, when the gifts are listed, wherever they are listed, whoever wrote that particular passage or those verses, they assumed that the readers understood the nature of the gifts. So when they talk about the gift of encouragement, they just assume the readers understood what the spiritual gift of encouragement is, which is fine on the spiritual gift of encouragement. Most of us in here would go, well, you know, I don't have to have a definition on that one. I think I can get what the spiritual gift of encouragement looks like in someone. I can picture that. I do not have to have that one defined. However, there are other gifts that we really wish 
Paul or other writers had spent more time defining. We will read about several of those gifts this morning. One of those is the gift of speaking in tongues. Anyone ever heard of that gift? Do you wish we had a little more definition on that gift? I mean, there is a lot of division over exactly what that gift is. Entire denominations have been formed over the definition of that gift. There are churches that have split over the definition of that gift. I wish that Paul had fleshed that one out a little bit more. Uh, But for the most part, the Bible does not define the gifts. They are given without a lot of explanation. The second thing is the gifts do not all appear in one list. There are 18 spiritual gifts. We'll read about several in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. We'll see some of these gifts come up again. In 1 Corinthians 14, you turn to Romans 12 and you read another list of gifts there. Then there are a few that are mentioned, uh, sometimes duplicates in other places in the Bible, but they do not all appear in one list. Which leads me to the third thing you need to know, which is this. The ones listed in the Bible are not the only gifts. Now, this is debatable. Some people would say, no, I don't think that's right. I think the only spiritual gifts are the 18 that we read about in the New Testament. My problem with that is whenever the listing of gifts are given, they're always given as samplings. So Paul would list out several gifts, and in another place he would list out some, and he would mention some that he had listed earlier, but, but bring in some new ones as well. They're always given as just a, a sampling of gifts, which leads me to believe that Paul never intended for these 18 to be the comprehensive list. Nowhere did he write out, all right, here are the 18 gifts, and this is it. Don't take away. Don't try to add to this list. Uh, We don't read any passage in the New Testament that indicates that, which I believe means that there are gifts not listed that are for the benefit of the church that are given to Christians um, today that are outside of uh, what we read about in Scripture. I think, for example, the gift of leading worship is a spiritual gift. We do not read about that in the New Testament, but I believe it's a spiritual gift. It's one that I personally do not have, but it's one that a number of people do, and we saw that exhibited this morning. I think the, te- the gift of technology may very well be a gift. Now, people have this ability to, ability to use digital resources for the benefit of the church, you know, to really enhance the ministry of the church. I think there are gifts outside of this particular list. Okay, so with those things in mind, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will not read every verse, but we will read most of the verses. And we'll start this morning with verse 4. Here's what Paul wrote. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them... And in everyone, it is the same God at work. So Paul's point here is that every gift that you have comes from God. But Paul loves to use what we call Trinitarian language. Uh, The Trinity is the concept that God is one, but God is three. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if that just blew your mind, welcome to the club. It's hard for us to, to wrap our brains around that. Um, The word Trinity does not appear anywhere in Scripture, but the concepts do. And this is one of those times where Paul says, look, there's the Holy Spirit that's distributing these gifts. Uh, They come from the Lord or from Jesus. 
And it's the same God, God the Father, at work. Uh, he basically says the entire Trinity is involved in the giving of these gifts. Then verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Okay, I'm going to disappoint some of you in here. We are not going to talk about all of these gifts today. These gifts come up again in 1 Corinthians 14, and we will talk about what was happening in Corinth. Basically, for today, here's what you need to know. There were divisions in the church in Corinth over what we would call the more spectacular gifts, the gifts that were very public, very visible, very exciting. Paul lists these gifts like the gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. The church in Corinth had elevated these gifts, these visible, exciting, spectacular gifts to such a level of importance that they were saying that everyone who follows Christ needs to have these gifts. Now, I want you to compare these gifts with another very similar passage that's found in Romans 12, where Paul is talking about the exact same deal, the gifts of the Spirit, but he lists a completely different set of gifts. Romans 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Compare that list with this list in 1 Corinthians 12. <laughs> Compare encouraging with the gift of miracles. You know, we would say, well, boring. <laughs> I mean, we want people to encourage, but man, that other list, that's so exciting, which was the heart of the issue in Corinth. Again, we'll come back to that in 1 Corinthians 14 and talk about uh, these gifts. Then he continues in verse 12. Remember, they were divided, so this is why Paul wrote what he wrote in the next section. Just as a body, though, has, uh, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part... 
where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Okay, I know that's a long analogy that Paul uses there to talk about how every single part of the body is important and plays a role. Why is it that Paul used the analogy of the human body? Uh, We see a number of metaphors used in Scripture to describe the New Testament church, but the human body is the most common metaphor. Now, Paul describes the church as the bride of Christ. We see it described as the family of God. In a few places, it's described as a building. But more than anything else, the church, us, is described as the human body. The body of Christ is a phrase that's used over and over. Why is it that this was used so often? I'm convinced it's because of what you saw in the video earlier. The temple to the god Asclepius. If if you're not sure what I'm talking about there, this is how you spell the name Asclepius. He was the Greek god of healing. And the temples to the Greek god Asclepius were located throughout the Roman Empire, including one in Corinth, a large one in Corinth. Because Corinth was a big city, they had a large temple that served as a hospital for that area. By the way, it's located about a quarter of a mile south from the uh, downtown part of Corinth. Uh, it's located there because there's a natural spring and people would come and they would be treated at the temple and they needed this fresh water. And so this temple was located there and, and it was massive. This huge temple that in its day had marble and, and it had this grand structure that sat on top and And it actually overlooked the Gulf of Corinth. It was just this beautiful, beautiful structure. If you go to Corinth today on a regular tour, they don't even take you there. It's it's a little bit of ways away from the city. It's gated off. We had to actually get someone to come and unlock the gate to let us in to see this temple. We had to ask our guide to ask the people who run the park service there to take us down there, open the gate, and let us into the temple. And though, if you've studied history, you know this, that Athens was the birthplace of democracy where every citizen has a vote and every citizen has a voice. And that kind of mentality has continued down through the centuries. So if you go to Greece today, I don't know any other way to say it, but everybody has an opinion, and they all want to know all the information, and they all want to be a part of the decision. So our our guide would say to the staff person there, can you come down to the temple of Asclepius? They want to get in there and to film, to film there. Why? Well, because of the New Testament and the writings of Paul. And Okay, hold on. And he would go to talk to someone. Well, they want to go to the temple of Asclepius. Well, why? Well, he had to explain the whole thing, and they would get together and discuss, and they would vote whether or not, and they finally, finally took us down there. Well, as you can see on the video, it's basically abandoned. I mean, vegetation everywhere, this amazing structure, 2,000 years old, that, that has such an impact on our reading of the New Testament, it's just sort of sitting there you know, without anyone really caring for it. Well, why is that such a big deal to us? Because that was the hospital and because that was the place that people went to get treated, Paul uses that as an analogy. And maybe it's brand new to you. Maybe you're like, I have never heard of this God before. I've never heard of this story before. But the legend of Asclepius and his influence has echoed down into our culture today. Let me give you a little quiz. 
What is that symbol? Can anyone tell me what that symbol is? Anyone? It's not rhetorical. It's the medical symbol. There you go. Technically, it is the raw, is the caduceus, and it was the rod or the staff of the Greek god Hermes, who's better known by his Roman name, Mercury, who was the messenger of the gods and had winged sandals so he could get messages back and forth between gods very, very quickly. This was his staff. The snakes around uh, the staff of Mercury were because his original form, they believe, was in that of a snake, which makes you go, okay, well, that explains nothing. Why is this our medical symbol? It doesn't make sense. You would think our medical symbol would be something like a doctor's scalpel and you know, a little bottle of medicine or maybe a face mask. That would be a good medical symbol. You know, why is this our symbol? It is because this symbol, the rod of mercury, the caduceus, in the 1800s was confused with the rod of Asclepius, the Greek god of healing, whose temples were the hospitals. They confused these two. Well, why did the rod of Asclepius have a snake around it? It's because when people came to the temple to receive treatment, one of the ways they treated people was to put them into a dark room to have them go to sleep in that room and then get this, they would release snakes in the room to crawl all over the people because they believed the snakes would pull evil out of them and whatever was ailing them would be pulled out by the snakes. To which I would have said, I'll just die. There's no way you're putting me in that room. Think about it this way. When, you, <clears throat> when you're sick, um, what do you do? When you've got something that's wrong with you, what do you do? You do two things, right? The first thing you do is you go and you get medical help. You go to the doctor. You go to the hospital. You go to the emergency room. You go and immediately seek medical help. What's the other thing you do? You pray and you ask God to heal you, right? That's the same thing people did then. They would go to the temple of Asclepius and they would seek medical help. And the priests there would perform surgeries. They used fresh water to clean wounds. You saw that in the video. They would do whatever they could do to help the person. And then just before or just after they received physical treatment, they would go up to the temple area and they would worship the god Asclepius and they would ask Asclepius to heal them of whatever it was that was ailing them. And then they would take this clay body part and they would leave that clay body part there. And they would say to Asclepius, when I'm gone, remember, heal me. Remember my ailment. Remember my problem with my foot or remember my problem with my head or whatever the issue is. Remember me so that you can heal me. And so this was such a common sight in that day. Paul would have used this analogy because people would have seen individuals going to the temple carrying a body part. Or they would, have, they would have seen vendors selling these body parts. Or people would go to the temple and there they would purchase these body parts. Instead of paying a copay, that's what they would do. They would go and they would buy this body part and they would leave it there. There have been hundreds and hundreds of these body parts discovered, which meant this was a common practice in that day. This is an image that would have been very clear in the minds of all of those who lived in the Roman Empire. And it's why Paul used this analogy. The church, he says, is like a human body. 
and each of us make up the various parts of the body. Some are feet, some are hands, some are arms, some are legs, some are heads. All of us make up the various parts of the body, and for the body to work the way it's supposed to work, we all have to participate, which, was he, which is what he talks about in the next section, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Here Paul uses what is just a very common sense analogy. It's something that we know every part of our body is dependent upon the other parts of the body. And if one part suffers, the entire body suffers. Think of it this way. If you showed up for church and you walked into the foyer and I met you in the foyer before worship. And I said, hey, great to see you. Glad you're here for worship today. And you said, yeah, I'm excited about coming in and participating and and singing and hearing the sermon and all of that. And I said, hey, before you come into worship, here's what I need you to do. I want you to place your, your hand flat on this table. And you placed your hand on the table. And then I took a hammer and I just smashed your thumb. And then I looked at you and said, hey, look, I know your thumb is smashed and I know you're hurting right now, but your eyes are fine. You know, your ears are fine. Your mind is fine. Your mouth is fine. You you can still go into worship. You know, you can raise your hands and worship if you want to. You can hear the music. You can hear the preaching. You can think about it. You can sing. All of those parts of your body are fine. I know your thumb is damaged, but everything else is fine. So go on and worship and have a great time. Enjoy worship. You'd say, no way. I can't do that. I know that my ears are fine, my eyes are fine, my mouth is fine, my mind is fine. I understand that. However, my thumb hurts bad. And because it hurts, I can't concentrate. And I won't be able to sing and I won't be able to listen to the sermon. I won't be able to enjoy worship because my thumb is killing me. So I'm not going in there to worship. What I'm going to do is leave go to the hospital, get my thumb treated, then I'm going to Lowe's to buy a hammer to come back and show you what it's like because this really hurts, right? I mean, we get it. If one part of the body suffers, the entire body suffers. The analogy is very clear. If we are the body of Christ, then every single part of the body is necessary for the body to be healthy and to work the way that it's supposed to work. Okay, so what does all this really mean for us? Let me give you four quick things about spiritual gifts. Number one, we all have different gifts. That's very clear in this passage. Paul said that from the very beginning. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Go back to Paul's analogy of the body. Um, what if we were all just an arm? I mean, what if you, I mean, you might, you know, really like your arms. You think you've got great looking arms. What if your whole body was an arm? You look weird. What if you were just one big foot? 
Well, if you're one big head, you know, you, you would be very odd. You know, some of you guys in here may say, well, you know, when I met my wife, the first thing that attracted me to her was her eyes. You know, I just loved her eyes. Yeah, but what if she was one big eyeball? You'd say, oh, man, that's, you know, it's kind of weird. Can't believe eHarmony hooked us up. You know, I wasn't expecting that. You know, the body, certain parts of the body, we, we appreciate that, but we don't want our entire body to be made up of that particular part. And the analogy is so clear here. Paul says we are all different. And if we were all the same, it would be a nightmare. Imagine for a minute that, that we all had the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now, some people believe prophecy is equivalent to modern-day preaching. Um, so imagine that we all had the spiritual gift of preaching. And we showed up here, <laughs> we showed up here for worship on Sunday and we all had that exact same gift. What would happen? We'd all stand up, and we'd all preach, and no one would listen, and it would just be chaos, and we would leave and say, well, that, that was a train wreck. You know, why would we do that? Imagine that we all had the spiritual gift of mercy. We would all get together, and we would just listen to each other's problems, and then we would say, well, let's, let's go and feed the homeless, and, you know, let, let's go and meet some need over here, and and, and, and let's go and make sure these individuals are okay. And we would all be very merciful, but the lights would never you know, get changed when they went out. The grass wouldn't get cut. The bills wouldn't get paid. You know, no one would stand and lead worship. You know, nothing else would happen. It just wouldn't work. We have to have different gifts. And in Corinth, they were saying that some of the gifts were necessary, desirable, that every believer should have these gifts. And that's one of the reasons there was so much chaos in Corinth, because they had said everyone ought to have these gifts, and they ignored all the other gifts. Paul says, no, just like your body, every part is necessary. And if one part isn't working right, it bothers you to death. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, and I know I'm a wimp. But if I get a hangnail, it just messes with me. You know, it, it's, it got, and, you know, and, and how do you fix it? If you pull it out, it just really, really hurts, you know, and then you're in pain for a while. I mean, a paper cut. You ever get a paper cut and it just like ruins the next couple of hours for you? You know, these tiny little things, if it's not working the way it should work, then the whole body suffers. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. We all have different gifts and they're all necessary. Number two, every Christian has at least one gift. At least one gift. Look, look at verse six. He said, there are different gifts of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. In other words, every single follower of Christ has at least one spiritual gift. And so if you're here today and you're saying, man, that's really interesting. I like hearing about all these spiritual gifts. I hope I get one of those one day. That's not the case. You've got a spiritual gift. Now, it may take some time for you to develop, uh, discover that gift. It may take time for God to develop and grow that gift within you. But you have some spiritual gift for the benefit of the church, which is the next point. Gifts are to be used for the benefit of the church. Paul was very clear on that. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. What? 
for the common good. And in every passage that deals with spiritual gifts, it's always for the benefit of the local church. It, it doesn't mean that we can't use our gifts to benefit the big church, you know, the Christian community at large, but it's always describing the local church, that God gave you this gift to benefit your local body of Christ. Um, and you may have a gift that actually benefits you personally. Like if you've been given the gift of leadership, it might be that because you've got that spiritual gift, it has helped you in your career. Uh, you have maybe climbed the corporate ladder because you have the gift of leadership, and it has benefited you personally. However, that is not the primary reason for your gift. The primary reason for your gift is to benefit the local church. And then finally, here's the last thing. Every gift is necessary. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Every gift is necessary. Meaning, every person is needed in the life and the ministry of the church. Whether it's a gift that is highly visible and, and you see it every Sunday, or it is a gift that you do not ever see. It is a gift that is necessary for the church to carry out the mission that God has for her. Several years ago, I was in the grocery store and this lady came up to me and, and I knew her face. I, I, I knew she was a part of Northway Church, but I didn't, I didn't know her well. And she introduced herself and she began to talk about this particular ministry that she's had this heart for for a while. And, and she just thanked me. She said, I just want to thank you for the church supporting me in doing this. And and what a blessing that it's been and, and how much it's meant. And she just said over and over, thank you so much for allowing us to do this. And I said, absolutely, you're so welcome. Thank you for what you're doing and really appreciate that. And then we, then we parted ways. Now I'm going to tell you something that I need to keep between us. Um, you're, you're friends and so I, I can confess this to you. When I said thank you for doing that, and you're welcome, and you know, we're just really glad you're doing it. It was a white lie. Um, I had no idea what she was doing. That was the first I'd ever heard of it. I, I, I had never seen anything about this ministry before. Now, I immediately came back and said, hey, do we have this ministry going on? And several staff said, oh, yeah. And they named her and said, she's leading it. And let me tell you what's going on. And I discovered quickly that it was impacting a whole lot of lives, even though I was clueless. It's not a highly visible ministry, but one that's making a huge impact on lives. We have another ministry here that you don't ever see. Uh, if it went away, you would see it fast, but you never see this ministry. We have a group of men who throughout the week will come to the church and they will walk the campus of the church with a bucket and they will pick up trash. And for some reason, all the winds in Macon, Georgia, blow from Walmart in our direction, and all the trash that lands in Walmart's parking lot ends up on our campus. And every day, we have someone who walks the campus of our church, and they pick up trash. So that when you come on Sunday, our church campus looks nice and neat. Now, I guarantee you, if these guys didn't do it, you would very quickly notice what was happening. You'd pull up, and it would just be mounds and mounds of plastic bags and all kinds of trash on our church. We have hundreds and hundreds 
of stories like that where individuals are very quietly in unseen ways working to make a difference in the life of our church. Every follower of Christ has a gift given by God intended to be used in the church for the benefit of the entire church so that the ministry of the church can be all that God has called it to be. Now, some of you may be saying, well, what do I do? How do I do it? What, what do I do to use my gift in the church? And I get it. These are kind of strange times with COVID, and some people are unable to use their gifts. They're unable to even be on campus right now. However, this ordeal will be over one day. We will one day move past COVID. Um, if you're able to serve now, we would love to have you do that. So let me give you two very practical steps. One, you can go to our website. And on our website, there is a tab that says Serve at Northway. And you can read all about ways that you can be a part of serving at Northway. If you want someone to talk to right now, uh, we have a table in our front foyer. And you can stop by there this morning and just say, hey, I'm interested in serving. Tell me what my next step needs to be. You may even say, hey, the pastor told me that I've got a spiritual gift, but I am clueless as to what it is. Can you help me with the next step? And those individuals will uh, point you in the right direction. Whatever it is, Paul's message is very clear. God has given you this gift or these gifts, and they are to be used for the benefit of the church.